Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the first convocation of the 2012-2013 school year. My name is Hans Weaver. I'm a senior business major and a member of the Student Senate Cabinet. This morning, we will be hearing from Goshen College's president, Dr. James E. Brenneman. President Brenneman has been Goshen College's president since 2006. In 1977, President Brenneman graduated from Goshen College with an interdisciplinary major in Bible, Biology, and Natural Science. He then went on to complete a Master's of Divinity degree from the Fuller Theological Seminary, and then received a Master of Arts degree in Religious Studies and a doctorate with a focus in Hebrew Bible Old Testament studies. Before becoming Goshen College's 16th president, President Brenneman was the founding lead, founding lead pastor of Pasadena Mennonite Church in California and held that position for 26 years. He has also authored various books, articles, and papers on theological and church-related themes. President Brenneman is also a very well-known rapper, dancer, and actor here on Goshen College's campus. In recent years, President Brenneman has given award-winning performances portraying the rapper Eminem and had taken part in what critics called a refreshingly vibrant MC Hammer tribute dance. If you have any questions regarding these certain skill sets that President Brenneman holds, I'm positive that he would love to reminisce about his past performances with you after convocation today. Without further ado, let's put our hands together and welcome President Brenneman to the podium. Wow. It is good to see you all. It's good to see those of you who have come back. It's wonderful to see those who are here for the first time. I have this feeling it's going to be a wonderful year coming up. Not least of which, oh, by the way, you said Eminem and MC Hammer, right? Well, I was actually thinking that this year I would uh, pull out all the stops and do my Lady Gaga routine. <laughs> but that's so last year. And it's so Sammy Rosario. <laughs> so that won't be happening, let me assure you of that. Uh, that's not going to happen. But uh, it is good to be here. It's good to have you all here. And I especially wanted to uh, do a shout out, a welcome for those of you who, for whom this is going to be your last year at Goshen College. You're graduating over the next nine months, we hope and pray, and if, <laughs> if that's you, will you stand and let's, let's give a good hand to the, the senior. All right. And how about all of you, let's put you in what we call the middlers. Those of you who are sophomores and or juniors or somewhere in between there, let's, you stand and we'll welcome you. Wow, what a good group. Well, of course, that leaves those of you who are first years and or transfers. Let's say you're, this is your first year at Goshen College. Will you stand and we want to welcome you. Now this is going to be a tough one. 
How many of you love iPads? Will you stand? We got one. Well, let's give two. Let's give the. Well, you know, that's amazing. How about any computer techno gizmo? Will you stand if you love anything like that? All right, we got a few. All right, well, that reminds me of the parent who went to the dorm of her first year student, and she said to him, can I borrow a newspaper? And he said to her, Mom, that's so 20th century, newspapers? Why don't you just use my iPad? The last thing I heard, that uh, the fly on the wall didn't know what was happening. Uh, bada bing, bada boom, folks. Uh, that was one iPad down and one fly dead. Uh, Sometimes nothing works quite so well as newspaper. Those of you who love old-fashioned books and newspapers, why don't you stand and we'll give you a hand. All right. We got a few of those. I would have thought there would have been more of you. This is a college, after all. But how about if you love learning in general? Will you please stand? <laughs> all right. Well, in one of our last convocations at the end of last year, I announced that for this year, we were choosing one of the, one of the five core values. We do that every year. And this year is Christ-centered, passionate learning. And we're going to focus our, our attention this whole year on passionate learning. I can almost guarantee you that the first interview you have post-graduation one of the top questions that you'll be asked is, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? And if asked that question today, how would you answer it, sitting there in the interview session? In his best-selling book, Corner Office, Adam Bryant interviewed over 700 CEOs of companies all over the United States. And he asked them, what qualities do you see most often in those who succeed. And the overwhelming response was passionate curiosity. So once again, what are you passionate about? I'm not going to ask you to answer that question today, but over the course of the next year, as we think about that together, start to contemplate what is it that you're passionate about? And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that more in a few minutes. How would you answer that question on a job interview that you get someday when you're, you're asked? The faculty, the staff, and administrators, we've all been asking that question of ourselves, or we did, uh, just not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, at our all-employee retreat down at Mary Lee. We asked each other, what are we passionate about? And I'll share some of those thoughts with you in a little bit. Well, I'm delighted this morning that, first up, is, is Christopher Fashion, professor of music, and might I say, Dr. Christopher Fashion. All right. Congratulations. Defended his dissertation in, over the spring and has now joined the ranks of uh, the doctorate, shall we say. Uh, he's agreed, first of all, to um, deal with this question of passionate learning. So I'm going to just flat out ask Dr. Fashion, what's your passion, Dr. Fashion? <laughs> Come and tell us. <laughs> 
Well, good morning. I, I am passionate about a lot of things, and music, obviously, is one of them. I, I think it'd be pretty disappointing to my colleagues and students if it weren't one of my passions. <laughs> Probably disappointing to myself as well. In preparation uh, of speaking to you today and sharing some of my thoughts about passionate learning, I was challenged in how, how I would talk about this. And for me, my passionate learning doesn't just start with what I do in life. It encompasses all the roles of who I am. So my passionate learning is not only as a music professor, it's not only as a researcher or a writer or a performer, but it's also as a husband, a father, a teacher, a conductor. And for me, there are two scripture passages that I'd like to share with you today that really spoke to me and have spoken to me, especially through the completion of my doctorate. So the first one, um, and being an Olympic here, I have to admit I'm an Olympics junkie. Um, every two years, 17 days out of that particular year, um, the fashion household sort of stops. And every single thing from um, the most obscure athletic contest is, is um, analyzed <laughs> ad nauseum in our, in our household. Um, being from Wisconsin, curling is one of those obscure sports. If you don't know, wait two years in, for the Winter Olympics in Russia, and then you can, some, some late night at 3 in the morning on C CSNBC or something like that, they'll, they'll be curling matches on. <laughs> but, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.24 talks about for me, the perspective that motivates the syntax for my learning and my passionate learning. He writes, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win the prize that will fade away, but we do it for the eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step, not just shadow boxing. That's a powerful statement when we approach our learning because in any process, in any goal that we seek to attain, whether it be academic or personal, we inevitably run into obstacles that diminish our passion. Sometimes seemingly that there are things that have nothing to do with what we're really passionate about and what we're learning about. I can say that for the, the doctoral process and those countless others who have gone before me in that process. It seems like it's proverbial, proverbial hoop jumping. But I reminded myself on those days where my passion had dwindled, and I was like, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? Well, I remember that I'm not doing it for earthly reasons. I'm doing it for eternal reasons. And through that, I'll close with one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. For me, that works hand in hand with my passionate learning. Because if I'm in step with what, how I'm being led, I'm taking pleasure in delighting in God and living step by step right, right next to his leading, that I find the joys and the passions, they go hand in hand. And it's very easy. Well, it's joy. It's pure joy to have that 
passionate learning driving me, so I don't have to rely on my own power and my own control <laughs> in what I do. So as we go forward, beginning a new year, I'd like to encourage all of you to keep that in mind as, as you're in the doldrums of studying for exams and deadlines and projects, that as we keep our focus on what's most important and who's most important, that we'll glorify God with what we do in everything and let our passions dictate our results. Thank you. I love that definition of passionate learning, passion. Delight yourselves. Delight yourselves not only in the Lord, but there's also passages elsewhere where God delights God's self in us as well, is passionate about us. Thank you, Dr. Fashion. It really, uh, it really speaks to little Merle Jacobs' experience. Little Merle Jacobs was absolutely passionate about canaries. He loved all birds, really. For example, I once read that he wrote in a short autobiography called Mr. Darwin Misread Miss Peacock's Mind. He said that one time early in his life, he actually hypnotized a chicken. I don't know how you do that, but he built his own telescope, not so much to look at the stars, but to bird watch. And there are all kinds of bird species where he grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania on the, in the mountain, the Appalachian Mountains there. He was born, can you believe it, with 11 brothers and sisters. He was the fifth of 11. Merle loved birds, like I said but he was obsessed with yellow canaries. His aunt gave him a male and a female canary when he was little, and it wasn't long until he had 67 canaries all at once, living in the house with his 11 brothers and sisters and mom and dad. You see, his mom and dad aided and abetted his passion, giving him the closed-in back porch with a door that opened into his bedroom so that all 67 birds could come and go as they felt, living in and outside his bedroom and on the back porch. And he even had little mice running around that they would pick up the seeds that the canaries dropped so he could keep the floor clean. Now, I wondered, he didn't say who picked up what the mice dropped, but that's a whole nother thought. Some 50 years later, I had the pri privilege of having Professor Merle Jacobs as my genetics professor here at Goshen College. Professor Jacobs was still obsessed with canaries and other birds, but he branched out, making quite a name for himself through a series of National Institute of Health grants for studying the genetics of aging, of aging through fruit flies. Now, he loved his fruit flies almost as much as his canaries and almost as much as current professor of biology, Andy Ammons, loves honeybees. And if you haven't yet, any of you haven't yet stood in the midst of a thousands of honeybees swarming all around you while Dr. Ammons gives a lecture on the sex lives of honeybees, you haven't yet lived on the edge of your learning. Let me just say, if humans were more like honeybees, 
Look out, men. Long live women, especially the queen bee. Well, professors, Professor Jacobs embodied, and Professor Ammons still embodies, the core value of passionate learning. Let me tell you how revolutionary it really is that the core value of passionate learning is one of the core values of Goshen College. In the Western philosophical tradition, putting together, juxtaposing the word passion with learning was damnable. Indeed, for almost 2,400 years or so, thereabouts, associating passion or the word pathos, emotions, we know the passion of Christ, that word comes across most intensely when you're suffering, but it refers to all kinds of passions. But to juxtapose that sense of passion, it, for the most part, was always kept apart from thinking or apathos without passion like two magnetic learning poles that are repelling each other. Literally, since the time of Plato, 400 BCE, all the way through Philo, Aristotle, the Stoics, Maimonides, Aquinas, Descartes, and Kant, the standard story of learning in the whole Western tradition idealized thinking and belittled feeling or passion. It was thought that ideas were best accessed through reason, whereas passions were dangerous and misleading and of the lower human nature. By contrast, then, you see, if passions were related to human beings, apathy, God, by contrast, was pure thought with divine, whose divine essence was thinking. God was above joy and sorrow. God was the unmoved mover. God was full of apathy, not sympathy or empathy, said Maimonides, the great Jewish philosopher. Spinoza and Kant uh, verbalized that as well. That the supreme value, the core value, if you will, was impassionate learning and the capacity for impersonal objectivity. And that's what became the norm for learning, especially in the sciences. So it was that for nearly 2,000 years, Christian and Jewish theologians were almost embarrassed by the God of the Bible, a God full of passion, sometimes angry, sometimes elated, sometimes jealous, sometimes forgiving, and at times weeping, showing compassion, intimate, personal, sympathetic. And it was intolerable from this point of view that such a God could somehow come to us in human form with all the passions that that involves. Given the standard philosophical assumptions of this whole worldview, growing all the way up through the Western traditions and into the scientific modern world, and given the bad insertions of theology into science from time to time, it became pretty easy to simply 
separate God, especially a God who's sometimes seen as intimate and emotional and connected to the creation, separate that God from the, from the rational enterprise of learning. So when Goshen College goes on record saying a core value of ours is passionate learning, it's a wonderful, amazing confession that goes against the grain of the, whole, of the old, old story of Western civilization and reclaims a missing piece supported by scripture that creates, in my mind, a more truly comprehensive notion of what an expansive liberal arts education should be about that is almost by definition in other colleges and universities excluded as part of a liberal arts tradition and by law in many cases. Fortunately, over the past 50 to 60 years, a new story is being told of amazing new learning styles and methods that include the whole range of human experience in the so-called multiple intelligences. Now, if we would ask Einstein what his passions were, he would probably have answered sailing. He loved to sail. Playing his violin smoking his pipe. He had an amazing collection of pipes. And build, I'm not suggesting that be a passion of yours. <laughs> Building houses of cards. He once built a 14-story edifice made of, card, of cards. All of these experiences, he said, sparked his creative imagination. Einstein once told the great music educator, Suzuki, that the theory of relativity came to him by intuition and only because he had played the violin since he was six years old. It was his musical perception, he said, that provided the venue for one of the greatest discoveries and definitions of reality known to us today. Music was the impetus for that equation. And I, as I think about it, it, I think it had something to do with, because music is both spatial in its dimension. If you think about it, there's an oral quality. It's out in space. And simultaneously and connected, it's timed. There's a timing to it. So time and space are somehow connected. And intuitively, he sensed that interconnection, that relative connection between space and time. And he said it was only after the fact that he actually wrote an explanation for what he intuitively knew by listening to music and playing music. He once claimed that language, including mathematical equations that he came up with, were what he called secondary explanations, second orders of learning of what he intuited or subconsciously felt or discovered to be true. He said, all great scientists are, have intuition and imagination first, and then you explain it later through math and otherwise. Isn't it a bit ironic, then, that some these days in the public square, 
as budgets get tighter in schools and high schools and other places, we start, what do we cut first? We cut the liberal arts, the music, and the art programs. We have to raise money in addition outside the system. It's ironic, I believe, in order to favor the STEM programs. Nothing wrong with them, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. We're the best you can get here at Goshen College. But it troubles me that some students are getting more math without music. They get science without images. They get engineering without poetry or technology without intuition or knowledge without imagination, something Einstein called an oxymoron. He said, you cannot know anything of worth without imagination. Not so here at Goshen College. Not as long as we lift the high core value of passionate learning, lift high the core value of passionate learning, and keep it central to who we are. I just love the fact that physics professor John Buescher is passionate about the connection between physics of sound and the shape of bells. I love that Chad Coleman, student apartment manager, let's call him iChad, he is so passionate about technology that he can make Luddites like me and or you. If he got up and talked about his passion for technology, I'm guessing when I asked the iPad question, every single one of us would have stood up because he's passionate about how technology can be linked to passionate learning. It gives you goosebumps. Rocio Diaz, community outreach coordinator for CIIE, Center for Intercultural and International Education, who embodies passionate learning with a drive and enthusiasm, a dogged determination to pursue her own BA at Goshen College against all odds. I'm talking about Mama Rocio Diaz. Some of you know Rocio Diaz, who just graduated as well. A Latina immigrant, putting her own daughters through college first working full-time in her second language, taking classes and keeping up her 3.7 GPA here at Goshen College. Now that's, that's passionate learning. That is passion for learning against all the odds or Christy Glick, professor of art, whose passion for beauty in the particular connects her to others and to a God in amazingly profound ways as a maker and as a creator. It makes me want to take classes from her all over again. I mean, not all over again, I never had the chance. But I sure would love to be in one of her classes. Or professor Joanne Brandt whose love of drama and movies led her to an amazing new way to read St. John's Gospel that scholars are taking note of all over the country and world. And then there's Professor of Chemistry Dan Smith, the Birdman, a chemist excited by homing pigeons. He called them rats with wings, or maybe someone else calls them that. But in the process of his pursuing his passion for the color of pigeons, which isn't a chemistry kind of project, 
But in his passion, he discovered a gene for blindness in homing pigeons with possible historic implications for blindness more generally. And of course, I, the list could go on. I could name others. And you're going to experience them as professors and other people on campus uh, working alongside you. So back to that question from the beginning. What is your passion? What is it that invites your whole self to get all your senses involved in the joy of learning? Professor of history John D. Roth writes in his book, Teaching That Transforms, he says, the outcomes of a good, good Christ-centered education must involve all of our senses, our sight or perception, our touch, which has to do with our embodiment, our taste, which has to do with discerning the better and the less good, our hearing, our listening, our voice for vocation, and smell. That is, smell attends to that which is not seen, attends to the presence around us that is not seen, but can be known. When Jesus claimed that all Scripture could be summed up, all Scripture, all 633 Jewish laws, all of Scripture can be summed up in two phrases. It's that first one that for me theologically defines the meaning of passionate learning. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might. Jesus uses the word love and adds an intensity to it. Love combined with passion, if you will. Love combined with passion creates endurance, discipline, self-sacrifice, all the ingredients you need to succeed over time. Passion by itself is simply the hormones of dopamine rising within you. And they automatically go down and they actually get lower than the first time. It won't sustain you in and of itself. But love, love includes the hormone oxytocin. Some have called it the love hormone the trust hormone, the empathy hormone, the sympathy hormone. It's where the passion, it's, it's there when the passion ebbs and flows and connects your passion to lifelong success. So Jesus says, love with all your senses, love with every ounce of your mental powers, notice the wholeness, love with every tensile of every muscle, love passionately, love intensely, Love with everything you got. And as you enter Goshen College for the first time, or as you get ready to graduate this year, or if you're anywhere in between or any other time in your life, but while you're here, I hope you catch the contagion of passionate learning. I hope that you'll become passionate lovers of learning that God invites each one of us to become. If you do, I guarantee it, you will never be the same for the rest of your lives. May it be so. Thank you.
Thank you, President Brenneman. My name is Beverly Lapp, and um, I'm going to ask you to find the piece of paper at the ends of your aisles, and we are going to sing the Goshen College alma mater. This was written by two former Goshen College faculty with a very strong passion for this institution, and we carry that forward by singing um, this together. I'd like to thank as a quartet Josh Yoder, Katie Miller, Chelsea Wimmer, and Justin Yoder for playing an arrangement by Patrick Ressler, 2011 grad, as we sing this. Um, please remain seated until the final refrain. And I'll just note, I think this alma mater is distinctive it has a, because it has a very unusual meter. Um, a challenge would be to find another one that's in 5-4. Um, it has a leaping melody, as you'll notice, and a very lively text that I hope you enjoy um, the, the feel and sound of. So let's listen to the first verse, and then we'll come in on the first refrain.
Thank you, Bev. My name is Becky Horst. I coordinate the convocations here, and it's my job to dismiss us into the welcome tunnel, but it's raining outside, so we're going to have a little bit of change of plans. We will still have the welcome tunnel. We'll still have the popsicles at the end, but we're going to do it all inside in this building. So I'm first going to dismiss the faculty members to go out either that door with Jason Samuel or this door with Doug Caskey. Faculty and staff, go first. 